Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. I want to welcome today's guest to the podcast. His name is Jeremy Indica, and he speaks out on child sexual abuse by using his own story to break down stigmas and help us understand how such a thing can happen. He wants to change the culture on how we talk about child sexual exploitation and abuse and what we plan to do to prevent it from happening entirely. You can connect more with him at jeremyindica.com. See the show notes for the link. Jeremy, I just want to say thank you so much for in, uh, participating and, and joining me here on the podcast. That's absolutely no problem. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I um, came across you and your story uh, very briefly on Instagram on a woman that I follow um, called Tell Somebody. Uh, she's going to be coming on the podcast here soon herself, which I'm excited about. Um, but I get really enthusiastic when I see um, efforts to break the silence, to break the code of silence and shame and secrecy that is um, a part of the swirl of this level of exploitation and abuse. Um, and so reading your story was tremendous and obviously heavy and overwhelming, but also quite liberating to witness where you are um, finding new platforms and layers of, of expression um, to draw a line, you know, to not let this be okay and not let your suffering carry on in silence. So I just want to say I honor you, your courage to speak out. Um, thank you for the voice um, of being you. Um, and also let us know who you are because the listeners don't know like I know. Thank you so much. Um, what an incredible introduction. I appreciate that. I am currently speaking out online and to live audiences around the country that I'm in, England here, about child sexual abuse, using my story as the catalyst and trying to work out what went wrong, what could have been done to prevent what happened to me when I was an eight-year-old boy. I'm trying to do that in the most engaging ways that I can. I'm actually trying to, I, I actually wrote the other day that I'm trying to be artistic with it, actually, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to engage the audience onto a topic that naturally or understandably people don't want to engage with but it's a very important one to engage with um and i just want to take this opportunity to say to the tell somebody movement thank you so much because they have supported me from the very very start of this they were the first people to ever share any any piece of my work four years ago and it actually bought like I just remember waking up the next morning I had like 60 new followers and I was like oh my god this is amazing I think like I broke the 100 follower mark through them and and like I just thought it was fantastic and then I just saw what they were doing and actually 
um, the, the the woman that runs that has been a true inspiration to me for other pieces of my work, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, it, it just shows that there is strength out there these days. There is good community communities out there and people are speaking out more the people that wish to do so and it should fill us with some optimism yes yes i think that you're really speaking to um the unspoken fears that a lot of us hold as as childhood survivors that nobody will understand that there's something inherently flawed with us um and to be believed right to be heard and then to be amplified so the tell somebody movement is just brilliant. I can't, yes. I, I concur. Yeah. And, and, and I, I completely agree with you with the, like, you know, just the being believed thing. I also want to add to that. It's about being recognized. Mm. You know, it's about, it's about what it's about people recognizing the horrific nature of what happened in our childhoods. Um, because I have, had a very fortunate journey with being believed with everybody that I disclosed to. Mm. Um, I had a fortunate journey with having some excellent police officers support me when I tried to prosecute the man that did this to me. And so I have had, I, I think in, in the grand scheme of things, I've had a very fortunate journey with nobody's ever not believed me. Um, but what the challenge has been is to get people to recognize the horrific nature of an experience like abuse in your childhood and how that creates a permanent imprint on your brain at that time, which then continues to affect your personality as you develop. Uh, and just to, just to get people to recognise the seriousness of something like this happening in your childhood and just to be seen in that way, I think is also important. There's, there's just something really um, rich in that, in that so much of our kind of consciousness towards survivors has been, I believe you, right? I believe you, I believe you. And, and while that's powerful and we obviously need that, you're really adding an element here speaking to what it means to just be seen, right? Just to mm -hmm. be recognized, to be acknowledged, and that so many of us um, in childhood aren't able to even recognize, say, emotional abuse of being ignored, or not being heard, right? And so around something as significant as being um, molested and raped and, and, and sexual violation at such a young age, in that developmental age and stage when your brain is still forming, right? When your attachment and ideas of safety are still forming. So what you're speaking to of like just being recognized, like you've, you've been believed in the telling of your story, but even just to be like seen. And, and mm -hmm. I, a part of me really hears that because yeah. it's when there's silence, when nobody says anything in plain sight that I'm echoed in extra triggers. It's, it's mm -hmm. not, so it's, it's the non-acknowledgement that is almost more painful sometimes than nothing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's completely completely true. Uh, it, it's the it's the it's the pushing to the side of this subject, right? As if it's just nothing, you know. And that sexual exploitation, being exploited, having your body exploited um, for sexual someone else's sexual gratification, whether in in however you want to word that, um, is is a terrible thing having your body used being used for your body as an adult 
is a terrible experience. Yes. Right? Having your body, I'm going to say again, having your body used for someone else's sexual release is a terrible experience as an adult. And you have a fully formed brain to deal with that experience, right? It's still traumatic. Yes. So imagine it when you're a child. Now let's start talking a little bit about this more um, because it's not just the exploitation of your, your being that's, that's, that's so traumatic. It's, let me add another layer to that. It's also the fact that if you were prepubescent when this happened to you, if you're in that stage of your life, you hadn't began the journey of puberty yet. What that experience has done is it's, it's opened up the part of your brain that's sexual before you naturally would have opened it up yourself through interest. Now, when you open up that part of the brain, when the person that's abusing you opens up that part of your brain, when the abuse finishes, if that's the case, that part of your brain doesn't shut. It's now open and now the neuro neuro side of it is firing. And now all of a sudden you have a distorted view of intimacy, sex, relationships, touch, it's distorted because it came into your life in an unnatural stage of your, it, it came in, it was, it was unnatural. It got introduced to you unnaturally, right? You didn't get to 13. Obviously I'm generalizing with this age, age um, number, but you didn't get to 13 and you started, let's say myself as an example, get to 13 and start getting really interested in girls and naturally getting into that those sexual environments with other girls trying little things you know getting really nervous doing more doing more doing more that's the natural evolution of 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 most human lives right when it comes to the sexual side but when it's brought to your life and pushed into your life way before you naturally would have seeked it out it's changed the dynamics of your brain yes so just for people to recognize that this is not like you fell over and scraped your knee right? It's not like you fell off your bike, you grazed your knee, and that's going to be all okay. You're always going to remember that fall, because it was a pretty bad crash when you were going down the hill. But you know, you grazed your knee, and you're right, the scab's removed. You know, you're an adult, and you laugh about it. This is not that, right? This is not that. This is miles deeper than that. And that's the thing that I want to get people to recognise. I think it's helpful if we can get people to recognise that, because then they'll start taking this seriously. I just, I can't even agree more. The, the part of the distortion, the distort, not just distortion towards sexuality, intimacy, touch, connection, love, but distortion of self, distortion of agency, distortion of relational, relationality, mm-hmm. of your obligation to pleasure and please, or just to be an object of, it, it's, the the long-term distortions are go so they become so twisted to where mm. one can't even feel themselves in relation to another um and i don't think that's all often as you're speaking to understood it's just kind of mm. bypassed like people kind of hear oh oh you're a survivor oh mm. but not the gravity of what it really means when we're allowing our children all around us to be exploited because we don't have the capacity to talk about the difficult parts of this. Right. And 
I make sure that I continually check myself to not get angry with people that that is their understanding of what's going on. I am, my fire is fueled by the fact that there's not enough out there, you know, that, you know, unless you're following somebody on social media that talks about this all the time, you're never really going to come across the depths of it. Right. But so, so where are all the podcasts? There are podcasts. I'm on, you know, we're doing one now, but I'm talking like, where are the ones where you come across it frequently? Right. If you, if you, even if you're not in that echo chamber, where are the big podcasts talking about these topics? No one is like, really no one is. So, it's like people have a lack of understanding because there is a lack of education, right? So I had a neuroscientist on my podcast um, and she was phenomenal in talking about um, how this is affecting the, 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 the neurology of your brain. Mm. Right. And it was just a fascinating thing to see. She's like 20 years. She's got like a 20 year career in this. It was fascinating to see her explain like the effects of trauma on a brain and like they do brain scans. Right. And the brain scans are showing how different a brain is that got uh, exploited sexually to a brain that didn't. And, And like, this is the kind of information that I want to try to get out there. Um, And that's what I've dedicated my life to doing. Yeah. Jeremy, I just think that you're speaking to um, some really fundamental things that on my podcast and just in my work, I talk about as the predatory formula. And in order for the predatory formula to carry on, it is synonymous to keeping silence. Mm -hmm. We have to be silent and secret about these things. And so when you speak out or when there are more of us speaking out about the neurobiology of what actually happens in in our brain body development and how we can't just move on and make the best of it and make lemonade out of lemons because we naturally do. We're adapting organisms. We will naturally adapt and make the best of it. But it doesn't mean our biology hasn't changed, that our brain isn't healthy anymore, right? There's a a change in our brain body development. So to really focus on that, to help to create what I hear you saying is you're helping, you're, you're working on creating safety so that more often you can create these conversations without it kind of creating deer in headlight moments. Yes. You're talking about using art, making it palpable where people have a place to engage with you because this is happening more often than not. And more of us, at least I've noticed, the amount of people that actually come out and tell their story of sexual abuse to me because I'm openly talking about it is it's record breaking. Right. Absolutely. And I actually have two people that. I'm connected with in my own life who have mentioned um, that through seeing my work and following my work, um, they've mentioned to me that something had happened and they've never really spoken about it, but they just wanted to let me know, you know, (laughs) they've got no, they've got no desire to like take it public or anything like that. They were just like, look, just like after seeing your work, um, look, some, some things happened to me and like, look, I've never spoken about it. Don't tell anyone, but yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, that's cool. And and it's like, I'm trying to 
<laughs> one of the questions I commonly get asked is, well, what's your target audience? Mm. And we all know whenever you're starting anything or, or developing anything, you know, it's, it's great to have a target audience because you can fine tune your material to for that target audience. But my answer still after these years is everyone. Mm. I, I don't have a target audience, but I'm not trying to target survivors. I'm not trying to target politicians. I'm not trying to target parents. I'm not trying to target teenagers. I'm trying to target all of them. Mm. Right. So that's why I've got a variety in my work. You know, I've got the YouTube channel with, with various types of videos on there. We've got, of course, the Instagram page with images on there. We've got the podcast, which I've just recently launched. I've launched a Something to Say movement in 2021 where other people can share their stories. Inspiration came from Tell Somebody for that. And and it's like you can you can come in at any angle. This is what I'm trying to build. I'm trying to build a, a structure with, with so many angles on it that you can come in any door. Wherever you're you safe to enter. Wherever you want to enter, right? So on the podcast now, I'm bringing in experts to help us understand these topics more. The new, new, um, the neuroscientist, um, the founder of a charity that helps defend, uh, that supports defend um, offenders, um, uh, uh, educational person who writes education curriculums here in England. So, like, if you're a professional, maybe you're interested in those conversations, right? If you're a survivor, maybe you're interested in the something to say movement. Right. If you just enjoy watching videos, YouTube style, you can go to the. So it's like I'm just trying to create something for everyone, um, because this should be one of the most talked about topics in our society. <laughs> I can't agree more. The amount of secrecy around childhood abuse and the amount of it that goes on. It, but why? I mean, what, why do you think it is? What? What? Like, it's an interesting question. Why? Why is it like that? Two questions. Why is it like that? And in the history. I'm not talking about 50 years ago. I'm talking about 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Has it always been like this? Mm. I think it's an interesting question. Like, what were they doing in the Egyptian times? Was it happening, or did they have rules, or did they have structures in place? What were they doing 5,000 years ago? Like, did they have rules and structures? Was it as prevalent? Or is this, a, is this a, something that's been, is this a a byproduct of today's society? Like, I, I don't know the answers, but I think it's very interesting. But the inquiry is necessary for us to really address and look at the gravity of, of present day reality when it comes right. to childhood sexual abuse. Right. So I also think the same. I got inspired by a Netflix um, documentary called Ancient Apocalypse. Um, so it's a guy called Graham Hancock. He, like I, I did a bit of research into him. He's been doing this for decades. And he is he's looking at um, the history of the human race. So he's going back like 10,000 years, 20,000 years, where we think we're the most technologically advanced civilization. Um, but he is challenging that, right? With the way the pyramids were constructed, etc. Etc. Et I'm not that knowledgeable about all of that, by the way. I just watched that documentary series and I was like, ah, he was talking about all these ancient civilizations. And I was like, was child sexual abuse prevalent then? Was it rife in those communities? Who knows? And, and I think I think it would be interesting to know because it would give us a good grounding for where we're at today. Mm-hmm. I've never spoke about that before, by the way. So correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I think I think again, 
learning to ask better questions of ourselves is what leads us to new imaginings. And so that's what I like about an, an inquiry like that is mm. how have societies in ancient times cared for the elderly and cared for the children, right? Bye. And Bye. And can you tell the health of a society by how we care for or don't care for societies? And very interesting. These are healthy, interesting inquiry that isn't trying to find the answer, but rather marinate in a collective, a collective question, right? That mm -hmm. says, hmm, the children are all of our responsibility. How mm -hmm. come so much children childhood actual sexual abuse goes on? Mm -hmm. It it leads me a little bit to your website. Um, yes. if I can speak to that Please. real quick, because I really want uh, listeners to hear this when you speak to kind of all the different angles. Um, I think it's such an important thing because there are professionals, there are experts, there are survivors, there are, uh, the, the violators or the predators. Mm -hmm. And, um, you speak to break the silence surrounding childhood sexual abuse, and you go into some statistics here. And so, Listeners, I encourage you to go to his website, jeremyindica.com. Again, the link is in the show notes. But you talk about four, you know, sexual abuse, abuse children are four times more likely to kill themselves as adults. Mm. 69.1 million were reported to cyber tip. Photos of videos of children being sexually abused were reported. 69.1 million photos of videos and children being sexually abused in 2019. 90% of childhood sexual abuse goes unreported. Uh, I've also, staggering. I, I've also heard statements around men's sexual abuse is like one in four where women's might be like one in five or one in six. Like they're not that far apart. Mm -hmm. And to actually let ourselves like taste the stat. Like, mm. Can you taste that? Can, do you mm -hmm. feel that? It, to me, it speaks to what you're saying that how do we engage people in a conversation that we all need to be having and not just kind of brush to the side for the most latest shiny object, because then we're collectively not helping the children and lower these stats. Okay. I think my idea personally is film and TV. I feel like film and TV um, have the luxury of uh, pushing boundaries um, and um, doing things that we haven't talked about as a society yet um, and um, really communicating concepts and topics and film and TV will get your message in front of people that would never normally search your message, right? Film and TV will get your message in front of people that even if somebody at work said to them, you've got to check this out, they still won't go and check it out. Right. People are gripped to a narrative. People are gripped to a story. So one of my aims is in the very far future, maybe not, hopefully not too far, is to start creating these short pieces of narrative where you follow somebody. You know, let's explain how the life of a survivor can unfold. Right. Mm -hmm. By by you following a character, six part TV drama series, people like it's so good. People binge watch it, go into work the next day and tell everyone about it. And it's not a lesson or a lecture. Right. It's not pointing the finger at anyone. You just follow somebody through their life. And if you don't ever if, if nobody walks away from that TV drama thinking I've learned something subconsciously, they would have learned something because they would have been exposed to something that they're not seeing already 
But if I only create podcast interviews or um, I only create lecture-style, classroom-style stuff, it's only going to be the people that actually click it. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like I really feel like I really feel like something unique can be done here. Actually, really agree with you. It's one of the 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 kind of explosions of my work in the last couple of years is realizing the role that art and activism have in mm. telling our stories. That stories aren't always told in a, in a workshop class or in a take this class to overcome blah 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 <laughs> workshop. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. like you're yeah. going to get a certain body of population that loves to learn yes. that way. But throughout all ancient times and culture, artists, artists. Right you know, push the envelope. Artists right. created ways where you're sitting there watching a play and you've, uh, you know, you've, you've bonded with the protagonist through the whole thing. And then you didn't right. realize that he was the, and then you see yourself in that character. So I get you, I like, I get where you're going and I'm proud of that realization because I can't agree more. Um, we need more art. We need more creative, fun, engaging ways to deal with very complex and heavy lead lead in topics that frankly we all are swirling in and we even if we don't recognize it okay and i took all of that into my presentation that i'm now doing so i'm now speaking to live audiences um i've been working on this for a long long time and finally it seems to be coming to fruition and i'm speaking at organizations uh, businesses foster care companies um child abuse prevention charities of course uh, but most recently schools and i'm managing to get in front of young people teenage years mostly um and just in addition to that most schools are also booking me to come and speak to their teachers and parents so that's like i'm just trying to hit all all the demographics uh, connected with the school so how did i put this presentation together now it's getting a phenomenal response everywhere i go Okay, and um, the reason I believe is because of how I've constructed it. And it's very simple. The first half is storytelling, where I talk through my story, highlighting the bits that I believe we can learn from, but not by stopping the story and saying, what does everybody think? Can anybody pick the three things that none of that, like none of that, that used to bore me when I was at school. So why would I do that again? Right. So I spend the session for the younger people is normally 40 minutes, right? So I spend 20 minutes talking through my story, the highs and the lows of it. It's not just about abuse. I talk about my engineering career. I talk about trying to get to Formula One. I talk about all these different other things ingrained in it. So it's not heavy, right? It's like a roller coaster ride, in fact. And then we go into a Q&A session. Now, the Q&A session um, is so interesting because people can't stop asking questions because i've just been vulnerable on the stage for everyone and i say now this is your time to say what you need to say so people are putting their hand up like the kids honestly we run out of time every time we run out of time they want more they want more time which is absolutely the mission right i don't need 115 year olds sitting there thinking i wish i was on my phone right i don't need that I don't need when the session finishes, they are out of that room in a shot. What I want is I want them glued to the presentation for the, for the, for the, for the duration. And when I leave, I want them all still trying to ask questions because then I've got them interested in the topic, 
right? So whether they're going through something or not, I've given them a memorable experience that if they go through something in the future, they can refer back to something in it, or it's just twigged their brain in, in some way. Now, a few people have said to me, actually, recently, somebody um, was very um, generous with giving me an hour session. They are a renowned professional speaker, contacted me on LinkedIn, said, I'd love to help you. And I was like, that's great. Like, I'm going to take any help that I can get. And and they're, they're, they're very reputable online. Now, they came and we chatted through my thing. And they said to me, um, what you need, you need to turn this around, right? So you are storytelling. And then you've got Q&A session after where people can like learn a few things. You What you need to do is you need to split the story into bits and stop it at certain sections and review that part of the story with all the lessons that are learned. And I'm like, no, you're going to bore them again. <laughs> they're going to think they're in class. Right. And, and then we go down that thing where they're, now they're all like, they're like got their head in their hands and they're looking over there. And one of the boys has made a joke. So they're all laughing about that. And no, no, no. I don't believe that's the correct thing to do with this subject. Yeah, yeah. I saw you make a post on this a little bit around um, this. You're speaking in school, speaking specifically to kids. And one of the things I liked about the post was how you said, you don't think children will listen on these topics? <laughs> you get them in front of me and they will be, they'll engage and engage on sex. And right. one of the things that reminds me, my background is in youth work. And one of the things it reminds me of is that, um, it, it's been said that young people want adults to speak to them whole, right? As mm. if they, as if they are at an intelligent mm. level, and and young people are going through so much already, and adults talk down as if they aren't at their level, and so you're inviting them at the same level, right? Wow. And and from that place of safety, young people have plenty to say, right. Right. And this isn't rocket science, is it? Like, we were that age once and that's what we wanted. It hasn't changed. You know, we all hated adults talking down at us, right? Because you know what? I think subconsciously, we knew they didn't have their shit sorted out either. Right? Kids always know. (laughs) But but we couldn't verbalise it. We couldn't articulate that. We weren't mature enough in our our development to, to go back at the adult, right? But like, you know, there's no point me going there and telling everyone what they should do, right? I'm a human being who makes mistakes often, right? I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is I have a story and I can tell you what happened. I can tell you why I never said anything at the time. I can tell you how it felt when the abuse stopped and how I feel that could have affected my journey through my career, which was very, very successful. I talk about how it felt to be chasing a Formula One dream, but then everything changed at the last moment. And I started thinking about actually raising awareness for child sexual abuse and parking that dream. I talk about how it felt to prosecute, try to prosecute the man that did this to me. And I talk, talk about how it felt to tell my parents. I talk about, like, it's all real. Yeah. It's all real. And that is what they, they will remember. Look, 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 look. And, and I'm confident I'm so confident with this and I'm constantly getting feedback that is helping me with that confidence. Because when I spoke 
to the parents in the evening after I'd spoken at school that day. When I'd finished and we opened the Q&A session, the first person to ask the question, he came on and he said, actually, I don't have a question. I just wanted to let you know, I wasn't planning to come to this this evening, but my son came home to, uh, earlier this uh, afternoon and he said, dad, you've got to go and see this guy tonight. And I'm like, boom. Yes. This is, this is everything I'm aiming for. This is everything I'm aiming for. Honestly, I believe we're going to do incredible things in our lifetime and then create something that's unique to pass it on to the younger generations. They can carry it forward. Yeah. And that, that our, um, our willingness to alchemize our pain through, right, through our experience, through our trials and tribulations and, and breaking the silence really does support other people to know how to navigate very complex experiences that nobody's talking about. And if we're not talking about it, we're not modeling anything for our children to know that we're safe. Mm. You're not safe just because you're an adult, obviously. So how does a child know you're safe? You know, Mm. um, when we talk about things, somebody suddenly realizes, oh, this is, this might be safe territory. Mm. Yes. I really love your mission. I love where you're going. I love how you're really um, focused on on the young people. And I love that story where it's the child, it's the student that encouraged the parent. And <laughs> yeah. that's what we need. We need our kids engaged, right? <laughs> when our kids start getting engaged, it it, it shifts culture, mm. um, which is really and I think that Yes, and I think that happens with everything, doesn't it? Like, let's take something that I- Talk about have... a dance, a dance, a song, like what popularizes right. things. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's true. Uh, the, the the younger um, age groups are really driving lots of the cultures. So if we can get them engaged in this and and what a great thing, like myself and yourself, we are speaking openly about these discussions. And for any teenager um, or young person, actually anyone, actually at any age, any sees age. us um, and they see the example that we're setting. Right. That, that really there's 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 you can get to a situation where there's very little to fear that's right and and um if we're only seeing people who have been through the experience that are sad and sad and full of sorrow because of what happened to them which is fully understandable but if we only see people talking about this with sadness then we're naturally going to start talking about this with sadness right? We need a balance. We need also people having open discussions, talking about prevention, talking about how the hell we're going to stop this from continuing to happen. And that becomes very motivating. Um, and, and that's for people who are watching the silent watchers, right? I've had a couple of messages in my time with people saying, hi, uh, a private message. Hi, um, just to let you know, I've been following you for two years, but I'm a silent follower. And I'm like, what's a silent follower? And they're like, I don't like or comment any of your posts because I don't want to be seen in this space. Um, I'm sorry for that. Um, but I've been following your work for two years. I love it. So, so, yes. and some people want to be, but some people don't want to be talking about this all the time. Some people never want to talk about what happened to them for their whole life. And I don't blame them, right? Yep. If that's you, that's you. As long as you're managing your shit, that's we're all happy, right? Yep. If it gets too much, think about alternative routes. But if you're somebody that just wants to, you're, uh, uh, you, you, everything that's going on in your life is as you want it, and you don't want to say nothing about what happened to you and your childhood, that's all good. But if you also need to jump into this podcast and have a listen to people talking about it, because that gives you a bit of a lift, 
then we've got the material here for you. That's right. And that depending on where you are in your survivor journey, all of them are okay at different stages, right? right. So it's about learning how to really listen to what you need, what's right. There's nothing wrong with being the silent voyeur until one day you want to come out and you'll right. know when, if there is that day, if ever, but nobody yes. should ever shame you into a stage that may not ever be for you. Okay. Okay. And let's take that to this conversation. Um, everything you just explained is everything that I agree with. This is a journey, right? Um, uh, addressing something horrific that happened to you in your childhood is a journey. It's not like the first time you start thinking about it seriously, you want to tell someone. Right. It's not like the next day you want to tell someone uh, it could be years of you thinking about it. It could actually be you start thinking about it in your 20s. You push it to the side and you don't think about it for another 10 years. And then in your 30s, it's a bit different. That could also be the case. Right. So we I am having a bit of a situation um, that I haven't got a clue what to do about. And that is. A few months ago, so so on my Something to Say movement, we share other people's stories. People write in through the website, we format the post, uh, you send in your picture and we post it, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of that. It's a space where people can share their stories if they wish to do so. I created that because I got so much inspiration from sharing mine, I wanted to give other people the opportunity to do the same. Someone messaged me saying, what are you going to do if someone under 18 submits their story? And I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about that. And they were like, yeah, you probably need to think about that. So I was like, okay. It was a safeguarding person. Um, so we had a Zoom call. And I was like, well, I don't really care if they're under 18, personally. And I know that's wrong. Um, I, I knew that that was wrong, but I hadn't really thought about it in any detail. So, of course, I cannot accept a story for somebody that's under 18 because they're not an adult. And if someone under the age of 18 tells you they're in an abusive situation you have to report it to the authorities immediately there's a mandatory reporting law here right so we have had to put on the website we only accept stories from over 18s you have to be an adult to submit your story now that is problematic it's problematic. because now I, I now i've i've added a layer of silence to my movement Sorry, if you're under 18, we don't deal with you. Go somewhere else, essentially, is what we're saying, right? We can't deal with your story. Sorry. So there's, a, there's one layer of silence, but we understand that there's a mandatory reporting law for a reason, right? If someone's under 18 and they're in an abusive situation, we need to get them out of that situation ASAP. So that's why they've got the law. You have to act on that disclosure, so then someone said to me, well, what happens if you're at school and one of the kids comes up to you and says, um, I'm, I'm in a situation at the moment, but I don't want anyone to know. Because telling someone for the first time and reporting it are two completely different things, right? There's sometimes there's, there's, there's a decade between those two events. Mm -hmm. So how many 15-year-olds have we got sitting there in silence? Because they know if they go to an adult to get support... The next day, they've got police knocking at the door. Or eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of young kids are in that yeah. exact situation. So what do we do here? Because you're, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because if a 10-year-old, you, you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, I want to add that, you know, I had a, a guest 
one of my first guests and she was a, ch a child tra tra trafficking survivor. And this is exactly what she was bringing up that trafficking doesn't just happen with a stranger on the street. It's that you don't have safe places. You don't have mm -hmm. people who listen, believe, or support you. And the one who does ends up being this groomer, grooming you into a space. And um, I'm a little bothered by what you're saying um, in that the mandate mandate reporter, I, I thought that was for a legal obligated uh, position, like a, a counselor or a therapist okay. or something like that. Okay. Is any adult anywhere a mandated reporter? Now that is detail that I don't know. Because to my be understanding, to I don't know UK, but so yeah. for instance, if I had a movement similar to yours and I was inviting people to tell their story, if a young person wrote it and tell their story, I wouldn't see myself as a mandated reporter because oh, I don't okay. know that person. That person isn't an intimate connection. They're not even a friend of mine. I'm just creating an outlet for them to have that first stage mm. of, of sharing. You might share it anonymously so that they're safe and you're safe. Like you might create, and again, I'm making this up in my yes. response to it. I don't have any real understanding of, of the legal, but I know that there are people that are positioned as, as mandated reporters because by law, they have to do that. They're teachers or they're counselors or they're something. But as, as individuals that are survivors and we're creating a movement, I don't understand why we couldn't create a layer of safety that lets people express. And then once they want to unanonymize, let's say there might be yes. a layer of going to the authorities yeah. after that, but you're creating like an incubator where young people know this is a safe zone. Um, and no, I'm going to be encouraging you to tell the next layer, you know, like you're letting them know the consent of coming into this space or something. Okay, I need to um, I need to look at this. I'm going to ask a few of my connections in my network. Safeguarding connections. I'd be curious to find out because I really hear the dilemma in that. Like you want to yes. create, you need to create safety for anyone yes. to tell their story. We can't just have a line. The amount of people under 18 that are abused right now and the rates that they're abused, where do they turn? If they're abused by right. their family, they're not turning to them. If they're abused by somebody at school, they're not turning to them. If we can't turn to a complete stranger on the internet, Right, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little dig into this because that question that you've just asked, is the mandatory reporting law applicable to teachers, counselors, therapists? Uh, people, people with in licenses and something in a profession. Right, right. Okay. Um, I'm going to find that out because that's going to be very useful for me because if it is the case that it's anyone becomes a mandatory reporter, then I have to start my presentation at these schools and say, just to let you know, don't come to me with your story unless you want to report it. I just don't think that's the case. Well, everything okay. I've ever known about mandate reporting. Okay. But if you're a listener and you're listening and you have any information yes, on this, write in, put a comment. Yes. We would both like to engage with you on this. We're not saying yes. we're experts, but we are putting out the question because we need to foster safety. And at least my approach would, if somebody told me I'm not a mandated reporter, I don't, I don't, I'm not legally obligated to do that. I'm just a human. And this person felt safe enough to share it with me as a survivor um, but if I was say in a position as a, as a, in a school system, now I have a legal obligation because mm -hmm. I have a position of authority. Okay. Let me, let me find out about that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, before we wrap up, I'd really like to, um, hear from you a little bit about your story I, and yes. point <clears throat> listeners to where they could get more. Um, but I think 
the nature of, of your experience is a really important one to speak out loud. And as we know, not everybody goes to the website and clicks on the video. Yeah, yeah. So I would really like listeners to hear kind of whatever you want to share about your experience uh, to wrap up where we've gone on this conversation. Let's talk about the abuse. It was when I was eight years old. It was sexual. It lasted for two years. Family friend. He was 25 years old, trusted member of the family. And he would do this to me when dad was at work. Um, and he made me feel very, very comfortable with what we were doing. I don't remember the grooming process specifically, but whatever he did do, whether that's touch, starting it with touch and then progressing it from there, starting it with words, giving me praises and compliments, turning it into a game. Like I, I really don't remember, but he, whatever he did, he did it very, very well because we were doing things completely naked and I wasn't questioning a thing. Now, when the abuse finished, it was, it was full of kissing, fondling, oral sex, touching. I was just about to use the word affection, but it was very, it felt a, it felt like it had affection at the time. When the abuse finished, I was 10 years old. And I continued as the boy I had been all of this time. Energetic, confident, outspoken, loads of friends, captain sports teams. Like I was showing no signs. Grew into a teenager. Your usual teenage boy was doing very well at school as well left school with good grades, left college with good grades, picked up a modern apprenticeship at an aerospace company designing aircraft. They were a phenomenal company. They put so much investment into their young people, trained you up to be a skillful design engineer. And I bathed in it. I was a young, ambitious man. And we were the perfect match, honestly. So as I moved into my mid 20s, very skillful engineer, started working all around the world, getting paid really well, having a great time at the weekend, out partying with friends, like um, I was a bit of a raver back in the day. Like, like I am not joking. Nobody had a clue. Until I started speaking out when I was 27. Spoke out to a close friend. And from then, one thing led to another. I started speaking to more people. I took my story public. I gave up my career as a design engineer and I kicked off this project. Can I ask you, was something happened at 27? that, that Right. You Interesting. I have two answers to that and I don't know which one it is. It may be both. Sure. First one is, I believe I was at a level of development to begin dealing with the topic I had never forgotten about what had happened to me. Something would come up on the news that would remind me of it. Something would come up in conversation would remind me of it. But when I was 19, I didn't care. When I was 15, I was too young. When I was 21, I didn't care. That's in my past. That's in my history. Like that's, that's, that's over there. But now things were different. So did I come to a stage where my brain was like, you're ready for this now? Because you have to iron it out, right? You, you can't, I mean, I think, I, 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 I don't know, but I feel like it will come to, you have to deal with it at some point in your life. And maybe 21, like fully grown man, fully developed in my brain by that point. Maybe, maybe my mind was like, come on, we've got something to talk about. But also, it could have also been, or it could have, 
included the fact that I was working in Dubai at that time. There was a project over there. We had some aircraft over there and I was overseeing the modification. So it was a massive, massive role. So I was flying out there every month and I think I saw someone like him. Bare-skinned, glasses, stubble. I'm pretty sure I saw someone like him and I've got a vision in my head of where that was and I could probably paint that picture. Mm. So it could actually be a mixture of the two. Yeah. So in my storytelling, as I tell this story, as I, as I talk to you about this not being a lesson, it's still a lesson because there's a lesson in my story. Because what's one of the biggest curiosities of the general public? Why did you take so long to say something? Couldn't have been that bad. Like 20 years ago, you never said anything in 20 years. Like, was it really that bad? Or like, what, why now? Like, what took you so long? Like those, those curiosities that are, the general public have because there's not enough information out there. You listen to my story and I can see people's heads going, ah, ah, that's why. Mm. He didn't care about it. He never forgot about it. It was always serious, but he didn't care about it. Then at 25 and 26 and 27, that it started to it started to come back. Then it started to turn into flashbacks. Then he started having night terrors. And then he told someone, ah, I understand. Now, I could never get that understanding across. I could. But if I put PowerPoint slide presentation up and, t- <laughs> you know, this is what I'm talking about, right? This is what I'm talking about. So there are many other twists and turns to my story. Um, and, and really, it is all on my website. And just to give you a little teaser of those, I tried to prosecute him. It failed. I found out where he lived because I wanted to confront him to his face. I knocked on his door. He called the police and I got arrested and he took me to court. So you can find out about all of those twists on my website. There's a, there's a tab on my website called My Story and I've detailed everything there in timeline. So um, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal set of circumstances. Yeah, and I, I just think that the stages in which you offer your insight and your experience. I I think that um, one of the things I'm touching on is that when we are abused so young, um, often we don't remember it. So the fact that you do remember it is one interesting thing. And, but oftentimes, right, we can completely blank out whole segments of our life and carry on and everything's fine. So one can be this ambitious school attendee, get a great career. And it wouldn't be until something happens in the twenties or thirties or forties that like, and quite literally, like you're speaking to flashbacks, right? You just start getting flooded with memory can feel like waterfalls. And, um, there's a lot of great support out here for those of you that might be experiencing something similar. Um, but listening to each other's stories is often a catalyst of our own remembrance um, or our own trigger to be like, hmm, that you want to push it away. You don't want to listen oftentimes because we're holding on to memories that we don't even know we hold. Um, So all of that was just quite brilliant. And the twists and turns, I think, is also very powerful that people can go to your site and listen to different short clips Mm. of different stages of what it means to reclaim a part of you back into wholeness because your ability to move on and become an amazing professional and excel 
to me, I'm learning more and more of what the high achiever is leaving behind, right? That when we zoom forward into excellence, it often means we have a lot of history that we haven't been able to actually reconcile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, the effects of the abuse, that's, it's interesting you talk about high achiever. Another question I always get asked is, what do you think the effects of the abuse on your personality are? And yeah, uh, I think, I think you know, the, the high achieving thing could be a result of it. But also, it could be a result of seeing my dad work hard. It could be a result of seeing my mum work hard. It could be because I got inspired by people around me in my career, like young engineers working hard. So it could really be anything. I know that we can make an educated guess on 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 um, how the uh, abuse has affected my life or personality in, in ways. Um, but I think we are largely guessing was would I have been like that anyway from the people who were influencing me around me around me the role models who knows who knows but the one thing I do know that it's given me is that I cannot let go the desire to try to change the culture around this because it is outdated we are in the stone ages with this conversation and I can't let go of that and it's an incredible motivation uh, for me and it's given my life true energy. But at t- sometimes I feel it can also be a slight burden because I can't let it go. Um, and so I call this like the gift and the curse of my childhood sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can really relate to that. And um, oftentimes like the obsessive nature to excel can transfer to the obsessive nature to tell the truth, to break the silence. It's that it's the energetics behind it. And um, I think there's nothing wrong with being a high achiever. I want to qualify. I also want to qualify. There's nothing wrong with being extremely passionate to anything that we put our attention on. And we can also recognize that these early experiences, as you said, from the beginning um, imprint us, Hmm. they imprint us in ways that um, are lasting and they affect Mm. intimacy. They affect how we bond or don't bond. They affect how we choose to make money or don't, how we feel worthy to receive, to give. All the layers of anything having to do with attachment are impacted. And so, you know, where you're talking about Do we conjecture about how the impact and yada, yada? No, we don't spend all our time there, but know that there are a lot of people who have dedicated their lives to researching the impact on adults after early childhood trauma. And this stuff is documented. And there are things like betrayal trauma that are studied, researched, and we can go and say, oh, huh, I suffer from all those things and realize, (laughs) wow, a part of my personality got formed because of this early issue. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not to be like, would I have been the same one if that hadn't happened? Of course not. You know, (laughs) there's an essence to you. That's always the same. And yet there's distortion that's added. And then the work that you go about to claim who is Jeremy beyond that experience and a part of that alchemy of you bringing it to to young people is your authenticity. It's let me just be me. Let me share me and share my story because it's our storytelling that people see, see, see and feel the truth and the safety to tell their own. Right. And I believe in everything that you're saying there. And I truly believe that something, something really interesting can be created here, especially as I see 
I feel like more and more people are are really saying enough is enough. More and more people are like, come on, like we can't just keep silent about this topic anymore. This is crazy. It's continuing to happen in magnitude. Let's get together. Let's team up and let's get this thing, whole whole thing changed. Um, There's a movement called Safeguarding Alliance here in the UK. I've recently been made aware of it. Some excellent people pushing that. And that's all about... um, Offenders not having the same rights as other people with name changes, going off the radar and um, getting jobs that they shouldn't have. Where like every, um, The sex offenders register being weak. It's not monitored. And these people have teamed together and they're now going into Parliament. They recently went into Parliament a couple of weeks ago to try to get laws changed. There's like three or four survivors and they won't stop until they get what they're looking for, for the safety of everyone else's children. Right. They're taking what they happen to them and they're turning it into action and change. And I just feel like that's happening on a more global scale now. Look, me and you are meeting. We're in different countries. We're talking incredibly well about this topic. People are going to listen to it. We're not scared. We're not shy anymore. And I like I just I just get serious strength out of all of these things. And I hope anyone that's listening also does. I, I can't agree more. I can't agree more. It's it's like creating an empowered network. Mm. Um, <clears throat> um in wrapping up, is there any last that you want to message that you want to share with listeners as as we as we close out today? Um no, I feel like um I feel like we had an incredible discussion, by the way. <laughs> so nice when it's free-flowing like that. Because um, often the podcast, which I've got no complaints about, of course, because people put a lot of effort and time into editing podcasts, publishing podcasts, and and I'm always very grateful for people that do that with the episodes. Um, it's nice to have a free-flowing conversation and seeing where it goes, um, as opposed to just the usual format of me telling my story. So I appreciate that you've done it like that. Um, if anybody wants to see my work or follow my work, jeremyindica.com, all the links are there, including the links to the, to the movement. Come and join. It's like an adventure. It's like an adventure, really. It's, it's evolving all the time. I'm always posting new notifications about new moves or things that we're drafting up or brainstorming. I get the audience involved. So like, like it's a real journey. So I appreciate, I appreciate the, the time on this podcast. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. Um, check out the website and join the movement. You know, uh, you got something to say, it's time to say it. And we're creating yes. spaces and platforms and we're redefining safety because being an early childhood trauma survivor and, and specifically around sexual exploitation, um, what happens is we have a very distorted sense of safety. And um, I have to say, I've spent most of my adult life thinking I understood safety, only to realize that I've never understood safety, you know, and that social environments and and intimacy has always felt highly unsafe. And what I didn't get was I had learned to function very well in Mm non-safety. And so it's one of the impacts of early childhood exploitation is we don't learn safety. We learn how to overcome regardless of safety. Now that's not a life. We don't want to go the rest of our life, not ever experiencing safety. So if you've never had it, then you actually have to learn it. And that's a whole, a whole bag of chips all by itself. So um, the fact that there are spaces like what you're creating and all the other places where there are places to go to start telling your story Um, in the way you're ready, in whatever form that is, um, whether it's confidential, whether it's straight out, all the ways. And there are people um, 
that are actively working to do um, rebuilding of safety within ourselves and with and for each other. So Amazing. so very brilliant, very brilliant. Um, lastly, before I do have one last question for you, um, yes. I was curious about your parents' response when they found mm-hmm. out because it wasn't a parent, it wasn't in the household, but it was a family friend. Mm-hmm. And then you did speak out as an adult and then you did try to prosecute. So obviously your family's around watching this. Everyone, let's talk, start with my parents. It's ripped their lives apart. They will never, ever recover. Life will never return back to the day before I ever told them. I wanted them to never find out. Um, at the time of prosecution, I wasn't public online. Um, so, you know, now obviously they would have found out regardless whether I told them or not because I'm all over the internet. But um, he, uh, it, 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 it literally has torn their existence apart and they will never, ever recover. Um, They're constantly reminded when they see my posts, of course, they're constantly reminded when I'm at speaking events and I'm talking about it. And that, unfortunately, is life and what it hands you. Um, That's not a reason for me to not stop, even though I feel their pain. Like, I feel their pain. And that's one of the burdens of what I do. Right. Because I'm carrying that pain as well. Um, uh, But they are very supportive. Right. They know that this is great. They see people following. They see people commenting. They see that parents are commenting on my Facebook post saying that they're talking to their children now following seeing one of my videos. People are messaging on my Instagram page saying that I've changed the way they looked about what happened to them in the past. So at least that way, the friends, the family, my parents that uh, feel pain through this um, can see the good that we're turning it into. And that has got to be a medicine for it to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's really helpful to hear, Jeremy. Um, a part of what keeps a lot of us silence is the stigma that we bring to our family, mm. right? The stigma we bring to our parents, especially if our parents are in prominent positions of any sort or nature, but really anywhere, right? Um, there's kind of family legacy stuff we start to think about. And um, so I, I really appreciate the honesty that they're burdened, they're heavy, right? They're in complete pain. You can feel that pain. It is heavy and you carry on because mm. they get that that's what needs to happen and you get that too. Yeah. Yeah. Not an easy one to reconcile, um, but this is how we heal, right? We heal by bringing up the uncomfortable things out from the cobweb dark corners that they're hiding in. And we bring it out into the light so that we can start dealing with the difficulty, dealing with um, the pain, even if for some it never goes away. It's painful, it's heavy, but that is not a reason to avoid it, right? That's not a reason to put it in a box and shut it away. Because as I experienced with the whole experience of abuse, it's coming for you. You know, if you don't address it, it's coming for you. And what better thing could we do with the thing that happened to us than to stop it from happening to anyone else? exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, it's been brilliant conversation with you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your voice and your activism in the world. And uh, listeners, um, go back and rewind some of this. This is a lot of, lot of little nuggets that flew by really fast. Um, so take a look and also take a look at, at Jeremy's website and, and listen to some of the videos. I really love um, the short entertainment and the, um, the engagement that you're really bringing um, to this conversation. 
um, so that it isn't just this workshop of heavy stuff, mm. but rather new, um, interesting and artistic ways to engage in topics that actually impact all of us. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.